This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 72. Quote, to awaken alone in a strange town is one of the pleasantest sensations in the world. Freya Stark. And no, you freaks, don't look it up. It's not a quote from Game of Thrones. You know I love you all. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm super excited about this interview. Today, I'm interviewing an old friend of mine, getting a chance to catch up with an old buddy. Uh, Maria Nicolosi is who we are talking to today. Maria is an old friend from my olden days of swing dancing. We met back in 2007, 2008, somewhere thereabouts. And we sort of became fast friends at the time. And we've just sort of maintained that friendship. She ended up leaving the Baltimore area several years back after leaving her job and deciding to travel full extensively for a little over four months prior to going back home to Louisiana and then on to where she's located now, which is Austin, Texas. She had one heck of a ride through those travels, and that type of long-term travel has been something that's always fascinated me, as I'm sure you know if you've been listening to the show for a while. I talk about it quite a bit. So I always love talking to people that have had the opportunity to do so and to sort of pick and choose from their experiences what it is that they did so that myself and hopefully everybody listening can try and do something similar. I just find that type of travel fascinating. And Maria had a wonderful experience that she went into in a lot of detail. She's got a great story about it, and I hope you really enjoy it. And oh, by the way, she is one hell of a kick-ass graphic designer, and you can find a link to her website in the show notes. That being said, I bring you Maria Nicolosi. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Maria, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jason, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. To, it's awesome to catch up. For the for the audience that didn't really glean it from the introduction that you just heard during the uh, the beginning of this, you know, Maria and I have known each other for... God, when did you and I originally meet? Was it, I can't remember, I can't even remember what context it was. Was it the Young Professional Organization in Baltimore we were? We met swing dancing. That's right. That's right. So I I started October 2007. So probably, and you were, you were dancing around that time, weren't you? I think so. Yeah, I had, I went sort of sporadically for a long time before I kind of got into it and started taking classes. So I think we met at one of my first swing dancing classes. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was call it, call it late 07 or early 08, I would assume. Yeah. So Christ, it's been 10 years. Isn't like isn't it isn't it amazing how how old you feel so quickly? Anyway, well, I'm actually in the process of planning my 20 year high school reunion, so yeah, oh. it happens. Oh God, I know the the I I'm not going to mine because I have moral obligation moral objections to my high school, but gotcha. um, <laughs> yeah, no, my uh, 19, 1999 was my was my graduation. Mm. So yep, coming up on twenty. <laughs> um. 
so obviously, you know, you you and I have known each other for a long time, but the audience that's listening has, unless you've got your friend and parents and, you know, whatever, listening, mm-hmm. listening to the show, um, they don't know you at all at this point. So why don't you sort of give the audience a little bit of a flyover of sort of who you are, what do you do, where do you live, all those wonderful things that you're happy sharing Sure. Okay. Um, well, uh, my name is Maria. I'm originally from a small town in South Louisiana, uh, where I lived until I uh, left for college. I went to college up in uh, North Louisiana in Ruston. I studied speech communication and journalism. And when I graduated, kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with myself and decided to join AmeriCorps. And um, unlike the average person who joins and does like one year of national service, making poverty level wages, um, I actually did three years of service. Um, Yeah, the first one in Baton Rouge, I worked on a walking trail at an observatory. And then that um, sounds amazing. Yeah, it was pretty it was uh, it was interesting, like being an organizer like that, you know, trying to get the community to come out to these educational activities and then also just working to get the trail actually built. So I partnered with um, well, this is a kind of an aside, but I I ended up partnering with like the local jail or prison and I used Mm -hmm. to have prisoners come out and work on the trail with me. So, yeah, it was a. Different, now, <laughs> different kind of experience. The the work they were doing with you on the trail, like what was what were their job responsibilities? Because obviously, I imagine well, well, it con- was. I imagine considering uh, their um, current, their current state, they were supervised. Let's just say, <laughs> they were. So, yeah, there were always a couple of uh, a couple of guards with them, and they were you know people who had, were had good behavior, right? Okay, sure. So, but essentially, uh, we were building a walking trail through this. Um, hardwood forest, uh, sort of marshy area. Mm-hmm. And so the trails were really muddy and we had, um, rocks and shells brought in and they were basically helping me spread those over the path so oh, that, cool. uh, people could walk. Yeah. So I did that for a year in Baton Rouge and then thought I should try and use my degree a little bit more. So I joined, um, AmeriCorps Vista, which is a program that's been around since the sixties. Um, uh, Kennedy actually started it back in 65, around the same time that the Peace Corps was started. Okay. And that's what brought me up to Baltimore. So I was a communications director for a national nonprofit, and I did some fundraising for them and redid their website. And while I was doing that, I decided that I wanted to study design. So I did are, a third year real quick, of you, AmeriCorps. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Are you comfortable ta- talking about what, what nonprofit that was or can you? Or yeah, what, it yeah. was the Notre Dame Mission Volunteers. Okay. Um, they It's an organization run by the Sisters of Notre Dame de Namur, okay. um, which is, you know, a um, religious, um, you know, they're nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, and they focus primarily on education. Sure. So I was working at the national office and they put volunteers into um, into schools. Uh, at the time, it was mostly in the U.S., but as I was leaving, they were starting to expand internationally. So they were getting um, volunteers to go, you know, to places in South America and Africa for one or two year stints to work in education. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's when I decided to study graphic design. I had done some uh-huh. um, design work. In undergrad, I worked on the newspaper. I was a journalism major in undergrad, and uh, when I worked on the newspaper, I just did the graphics. I only uh, wrote for the paper for like one semester, and I did the graphics for about two years. Gotcha. So that was all information graphics. But um, so anyway, decided to study it. 
um, and stayed in Baltimore for a third year to, um, for a third, a year of AmeriCorps. So that third year, I was actually the art teacher and English tutor at a low income middle school called Mother Seton Academy. So it was um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. The classes were never more than um, 12 students. It was um, a nativity school is what it's called. That's the model. Mm -hmm. um, and so while I was teaching there, I started graduate school and got an MFA from the University of Baltimore in um, integrated design. So that's print, web, and video design. Mm -hmm. And um, in the years since, I've just been working as a designer, a couple different um, jobs, uh, stayed in Baltimore in total for about 12 years, um, before I, before I left. Uh, and now I'm in Austin. Very cool. Now, the, I, something that I have to point out, which I just think is hilarious. It's all, it's all about where we live with you being in Texas right now. When mm -hmm. I, when I met you in the time that I knew you here, your Southern accent was gone. It was absolutely nowhere to be seen it's back. <laughs> oh, you think I have an accent again? That's funny. it's it's I, back. It's not. <laughs> it's not your. It's not your. I'm not. I'm not hearing a you know a Creole like a Cajun Louisiana accent, but it's yeah. it's there. Huh. <laughs> it's, Interesting. It's there. It's back. You're well, I think I see my family a little more now. Um, you know, since I'm a little bit closer to home, so I think the more I talk to them, the more you hear the accent for sure. <laughs> Like, and especially when you're arguing with your with your parents, it always comes out. I'm sure. <laughs> Any alcohol will bring it out as well, for sure. Yeah. Now, the uh, specifically AmeriCorps, the what what made you decide to do AmeriCorps versus just sort of some entry level job doing something else? Like, why why did you specifically? Yeah, that's pick? a that's a really great question. I think when I was getting to the end of college, I just. I don't know what I was thinking. Like I didn't make a plan. Um, I guess I just thought it would work out. And it, so it took me a little while to figure out what to do. But I actually remember the first time I heard about AmeriCorps. It was back when it started, um, 1995, uh, Bill Clinton started the program because it was, um, he had had a program in um, Arkansas called, called the Delta Service Corps. Okay. And that was actually what I joined first. It was the Louisiana Delta Service Corps. So it was that organization that Clinton had started when he was governor of Arkansas. Hang on. And uh, when, AmeriCorps didn't exist before the Clinton campaign? Before right. the Clinton administration? Really? Yes. It's that yeah. new? It is. Yeah. I thought so, it had been around forever. Okay. Go ahead. Well, the, the VISTA program, which is Volunteers in Service to America, mm -hmm. that started in the 60s with, okay. um, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think it was Johnson. I think it was Kennedy. Okay. Um, and he started the Peace Corps at around the same time. And then in 95, Clinton turned the VISTA program into um, into AmeriCorps. What is now AmeriCorps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And assuming... there were a couple other programs that got sort of brought into that as well. Because there was one called the, um, what is it called? Like the National Community NCCC. NCC. Um, okay. Those are the folks who built the uh, the national parks back in the day. Okay. So that program sort of got wrapped into it as well. And just lots of different volunteer organizations from around the country sort of all came under the AmeriCorps umbrella. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if you, if you think about programs like that that aren't exactly heavily funded, like you need – you kind of need volunteers to make programs like that survive. Yeah. So putting all that together, mm -hmm. putting all that together kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when I heard about it in 95, I figured I would do it one day. And then after I graduated and kind of didn't know what to do, I heard a, uh, I heard an ad on the radio 
for that Louisiana Delta Service Corps was looking for volunteers. And so a friend of mine had recently joined AmeriCorps and was moving to New Mexico. And I guess I felt inspired by her. So I uh, followed up on it. And that's how I ended up at the at the observatory. Awesome. And yeah, for, for the audience, anybody that's listening that was born after 1990, a radio is a device <laughs> that used to come installed in cars before your phone connected to them automatically. And you yeah. would listen to these things called radio stations where, you know, people would talk in real time. And if you didn't hear them when they were on the air, you, you know, missed them. It was a very weird technology that we don't really, that doesn't seem to be very popular anymore. Anyway, continue Maria. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the gist of that. At least how I got into AmeriCorps. Although I do still listen to NPR most mornings on my way to work. So I guess I'm old school like that. Sure. No problem. <laughs> do, um, is there any one particular show on NPR that, that sort of draws your ear or, or do you? Well, I listen to the news in the mornings. Um, most of the rest of my, my, uh, I, you know, I guess I'm new school in that way too. Cause most of the rest of my consumption is via podcast. So, For sure. uh, radio lab is one of my favorites. This American life is always great. Yeah. StoryCorps makes me cry. So. I don't, I don't know StoryCorps. What's that one about? Oh, it's great. So, um, it started with a booth in, um, in, uh, in New York, in like one of the uh, train stations. Mm -hmm. And essentially two people go in the booth and they give them a list of questions and one person interviews the other. And it's all archived in the national, um, in, in the national archives. Mm -hmm. So it's just people talking to each other, telling stories and some, they, they're almost always incredibly moving, at least the ones that they, that they broadcast. Well, that's fascinating. I, I have to, I have to check that one out. Yeah. I, I listen, I listen to a couple of NPR shows on and off. I used to listen to this American life. I don't as much anymore. My, my taste in podcasts tends to, you know, sort of sway. Uh, but the, the, the shows that tend to draw my ear more are the ones that are just more raw, sort of raw conversations like the, the Tim Ferriss, the Joe Rogans, you know, the Jock, mm -hmm. the Jocko type show, like the, those types of shows where it's more just sort of a couple of people having conversations like mm -hmm. the, I, the, this American life is, it, this American life is art. Like that show is it's auditory art. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I see radio lab the same way, but the problem that I have is that they are so heavily edited. Like I, I don't view those as podcasts. Like those are radio shows. Like the, yeah. the, those are, those are like, I mean, to, to, to take the, to take the overused term today of like quote unquote mainstream media like these are like mainstream big network heavily funded massively edited fi finished products that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars per week to produce and whatever and you know the product is good but eh, like when if i want to pod i i still I, I kind of believe in more like the sanctity of the podcast. I'm like, the po <laughs> it's like the podcast is the, is the thing that the guy in the basement in the woods can do mm -hmm. to kind of get his word out to, to get his pers perspective out to the world. Like, and when, when they're competing up against say NPR or this American life or whatever, I'm like, Oh, that's not the same thing, you know, but it's still great. It's, it's a great product, but it's like when I'm, when I'm picking my podcasts, I tend to lean more towards the conversational stuff, like mm -hmm. the more raw conversational stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Like, do do you listen to a lot of different shows, or do you sort of sort of stick with the same? Um, I do listen to a lot of shows. Most of them are like NPR or PRI. Um, I I do like the stories. I I like the ones as well that are um, like the moth and, you know, people just telling their own stories, Mm -hmm. storytelling. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to do, I'm trying to get more into um, some of the like coding and business Mm. podcasts to kind of uh, motivate myself to sort of take on some of these I don't know, goals that I've had for a while that sure. I haven't really, uh, you know, done much toward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, get- but yeah, sometimes the conversational ones can, I guess when you get so used to the polished, the polished podcast, yeah. the conversations can, can drag on a bit, but sure. I, the, I guess I tend to listen to those more on like a road trip than when I'm just, uh, you know, cleaning up on Saturday afternoon or, you know, need something to listen to at work. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Now, actually, get um get into that really quick. You you mentioned about sort of what some of these goals were that you had. Like you you obviously you were a you are per se a graphic designer by trade and training. Yes. Yes. Um. What what is it? What is it that is that something that you're looking to stick with? Like, are you thinking about making a change to that? Like, what 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 were you sort of? Well, at it's there? more that um. In the years since I got this this master's degree in design, where right. it was pretty general, like print, web, and video design, sure. um, that unless you want to work in like a really small organization that sort of needs of all trades, mm-hmm. that's the direction that the industry is going. Right, like it's much more. There's more need for some specialization. So it's really just a matter of what trajectory do I want to take. Like, okay. um, so as a designer. And particularly as a web designer, um, a lot of what I do is user experience and user interface, right? Like, how is the user going to interact with this product? Um, who is that person? What's their story? And what's their journey through the through whatever product we're creating? Mm-hmm. And that's like a very specific um well, certainly much more popular, uh, very popular these days, uh, very in demand sort of, uh, focus. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of like, do I really want to continue down that path or do I want to be more of like a front end developer Mm -hmm. where, I mean, pretty much any web designer these days needs to be able to code HTML, CSS, and, um, I do enjoy that part of it, but a lot wow. of times when it gets into more of a deep dive, I would much rather just have a back end developer I could take over, you know, let me make it look right, decide how it's all gonna function, how the user's gonna interact with it, and then just give it to the back end guy to sort of make it all actually happen. Um so for the development stuff that you do, are are you say like a WordPress de- developer or you know, like the Squarespaces or the WordPresses of the world, or are you a from scratch? Um, um, from scratch developer at this stage, or do you kind of well, view, the, a, view the WordPress things more of like a sacrilege at this stage? <laughs> no, <laughs> it really, it totally just depends on the project. So most of the professional work that I'm doing, like in whatever job I have, right. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a team that has designers and developers and product owners. And, um, so they're not going to be for the most part on a platform like that. I mean, the last one that we did was on Drupal, which is, um, because it was a government project and government tends to use Drupal for a lot of things. So it's okay. still a, but the idea is that the user, not so much the, um, the audience for the, for the product, but the mm-hmm. user can go in and make edits. So that's, you know, what a WordPress would do as well. Sure. I've done some freelance WordPress 
sites. So yeah, it's certainly not, it, you want to give the, whoever's going to be sort of maintaining the site an interface that they can work with, right? If I for code sure. everything in HTML, that's going to make it really hard if you're my client for you to go in and make any changes to it. For sure. So it's always good to find a platform that people can actually use. For sure. Um, and, and that was the, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that was the, it, it's kind of, it's kind of like the gatekeeper, the old gatekeeper model. I mean, that's the model that, assured future like that that was job security in the in right. years past in in the development world like if 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 i had i remember back in 2000 god what year was it 2006 i think it might have been 2005 or 2006 i was you know in the finance industry and i was working for a company that was very loose with regards to their their in company regulations of what their employees could do like for example in a company that I was with prior to that, it was a large national bank and you could not go out and have your own website. You couldn't, mm -hmm. you would be fired immediately if you did so like that, that was just an absolute no, no. Whereas the company that I was with, you know, in 2005, six, it was, it was like, you, you want to use our logo? Fine. Just make sure that, you know, I approve that there's okay to do it. Sign here. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you're not going to broadcast any child's porn on the website where the web, where the, where the logo is. And you know, you're good to go. If it gets you business, it gets you business. Get the hell out of here, mm -hmm. you know, hit the street. Mm -hmm. I remember I hi I hired a friend of mine who was a, who was a who was a sort of from scratch developer at the time, and I spent God six thousand dollars something somewhere to the tune of six thousand dollars to have a I think it was like a five page site mm -hmm. built and put together with you know Flash and all that wonderful fancy <laughs> stuff fancy stuff that's clearly still used everywhere today mm -hmm. and i i couldn't do a damn thing to it like i think mm -hmm. i was i think i was able to add like it cost me Three hundred dollars to add the name and contact phone number of my assistant to the website, like, and that was mm. just for every little thing that needed to be changed. It just you had to go back to the developer, or you have to hire another one. It's like, okay, here's here's my passwords. Go in, and you know, in a week or so, let me know that the changes are made. Okay, and mm -hmm. you know, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars per change later, like that was sort of the <laughs> that was the uh, here we'll give you the printer for free, but you got to spend a thousand dollars a month on the toner, yeah, model of the of graphic design. Whereas now with, I, I kind of give, give credit to WordPress as like the main one. Cause they're, they're just so huge. Mm -hmm. Like that, that model being out, that's completely changed that business model. Whereas that buddy of mine that designed the website for me way back when he now, he is now out of that business completely and works exclusively in an industry that by law can't use uh, platforms like a WordPress or whatnot, mm -hmm. where he works, he works exclusively in the medical field where everything has to be a lot more secure. So he's mm -hmm. like, but that's all I do. He's like, I don't touch any other market because every other market is WordPress and we don't get any trailing income from WordPress websites. Right. So yeah. The, yeah. That I mean, it's not a, right. That model isn't sustainable anymore. And even like, unless someone is looking for something that's really customized, so there's mm -hmm. just no reason to start from scratch. You know, there's so many um, frameworks and pattern libraries now that there's a lot that you can do with, you know, and everyone's sharing their code as well. So there's just all this stuff that's already written that you can just kind of take. And if you know what you're doing, tweak a little bit and mm -hmm. um, yeah, just get a lot, a lot done in a lot less time and certainly for a lot less money. Yeah, for sure. Now for, for people, for you met, now you mentioned you 
did the you did AmeriCorps that brought mm-hmm. you to, that brought you that is what brought you to Baltimore where you spent a pretty big chunk of time. Yes. And then you left. Mm-hmm. Why did you why did you leave and what 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 was it that kind of pulled you away what did did you get pushed away did you get pulled towards something that made you want to leave whether it be professionally or personally or like what what was it that kind of triggered that that change because yeah. thir- 13 years in a new town is a lot, that's a lot of time you you meet a lot of people you make a lot of connections you know and then to <laughs> now go to Austin which is not where you're from like I I get Leaving town right. and then going home, you know, because that's where, you know, that's where your roots are, but you ended up somewhere else. Like what, what sort of, what was that transition for you? Was it professional? Was it personal? Like what, what was that about? Uh, it was a few things. So when I moved to Baltimore to do that first year of AmeriCorps, mm-hmm. I thought I would be there for a year. Like that was the plan. Sure. Right. And then it's like, well, I still would like to do another year of AmeriCorps. And I think I'd like to, I'm going to go ahead and go to graduate school. So then, okay. So that's three years of classes for grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I stayed for that and I started working and started to fall in love with the city. You know, it's, uh, I, I kind of don't want to tell people too much about Baltimore because I feel like folks don't know it and I kind of want to keep it, keep it that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's such a great, great place to live. Um, so yeah, I just started working and, um, I think the whole time I was there just kept thinking that I would leave any day, you know, like, Oh, well, I'm not going to be in Baltimore forever. And then I stayed for, you know, the better part of a decade, I stayed for almost 12 years and really enjoyed, uh, most of my time there. Mm -hmm. So what actually got me to leave, um, I was working in a company, um, an e-commerce company that has since, um, it's not around anymore. It it went under about a year ago now. And, um, there were just a lot of growing pains there. Like when I started, I thought I would have a lot of opportunity to move up. And uh, what ended up happening as the company grew, they just kept hiring people above me as opposed to moving, you know, moving the folks who were there early uh, sort of up in the, up in the, uh, you know, organization. So that was frustrating. And then it was around Christmas time and, um, I don't know. I don't want to get too much into like all the issues that I had working there, but <laughs> essentially they had the headquarters folks uh, working in the warehouse. We were like picking packages and, you know, filling boxes, which, you know, I don't mind doing, but part of the reason we were doing it was because they just hadn't hired enough seasonal workers. Mm. And so I was spending these long days there and being asked to work weekends and, um, Essentially, I had a, an argument, not really an argument, I, that, a disagreement, I guess, with my boss. I was supposed to come in at a certain time. I didn't know because she had sent an email that I didn't get, et cetera. And um, it just got kind of nasty. And I decided that I just didn't need to be in that kind of environment anymore. Sure. You know, like life is too short to be unhappy. For sure. And uh, <laughs> as I was picking packages and just sort of complaining with my coworkers about how ridiculous it was that we were doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, We started talking about, you know, well, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? If you won the lottery, like what would you do with your life? And I have an easy answer to that. I mean, it's been my answer for forever is that I would travel, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to see the world. If I had all the money, that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And so when things kind of went sour, I thought, well, it's silly to wait for this like fictional day when, 
you know, I've won the lottery or suddenly have a ton of money to go and live the life that I actually want to live. So, um, yeah, I just decided that I didn't want to burn bridges. I wanted to leave on a positive note. So I went home for Christmas and then gave my notice when I got back and, you know, stayed for most of January to sort of clean everything up and make sure they had everything they needed for me. And then, yeah, packed up everything, put it in a U-Haul, uh, drove it down to Louisiana, put it in my mom's storage uh, in the in like the backyard, and then got on a plane to Bangkok, and um, yeah, went okay. traveling for like four months. Um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so for for everybody that's listening, that that me knowing this part of Maria's life is exactly why I wanted to have her on this show because that process is just absolutely fascinating to me, and. You know, if if you've been listening to the show, you know that this is something that we're actively trying to do as a family on my end. And I've we've all read, or a lot of us, if you're listening to the show, have read. You know, there's articles posted here and there from you know these sort of epic idols of our generations that that just bloviate about the benefits of this long-term international travel or vagabonding or whatever it might be, but. There, we rarely run into, you know, other real humans in our lives that have actually done this. And Maria, you've actually done that where you've just basically pressed pause, pressed pause on normal life and mm -hmm. actually traveled for an extended period of time. And you're not currently living in a homeless shelter because of it. And I, right. I, because so that actually, that, that took, that took planning that took preparation that took strategic like picking the time strategically that ha that i assume that was either just a mindset that you already had which was yeah. that had you in a place where you could kind of do that at the drop of a hat or at the very least you realized you wanted to do it and then you had you systematically did things to put your life in order so that you wouldn't be completely exploding your personal and financial life by right. doing that. Like, can, can you walk us through that process a little bit? Like, sure. how do you, like, so I wouldn't say that there was a ton of planning that went into this, at yeah. least in the sense that I'm kind of always dreaming about traveling. Right. So I have this in that I'm going to travel more. I'm going to go, you know, I have a list of places I want to go to. Sure. So, um, but when I decide to do it, I tend to just do it. Cause mm -hmm. if I think about it too much, I'll just keep procrastinating and putting it off. So, sure. um, when I decided, you know, in that warehouse that this wasn't the life I wanted to lead, um, within a month I was in Bangkok. Right. So, wow. okay. um, Essentially, my my lease was ending in my apartment. Mm -hmm. um, I did end up leaving a couple months early, so I didn't get all of my deposit back. Um, I had some savings. I had been saving with the idea that I would buy a house, right? Because that's what adults do. They grow up and they buy a house. So I had this sort of fund that I assumed would be a down payment on a house. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's really it. So when I decided to do it, I just started looking for, uh, for flights and for trips that, um, cause I actually booked through a company called G adventure the first month. Um, you know, it would have been nice to just kind of go and figure it out as I went, but I think I was feeling a little too intimidated to do that and didn't want to do a lot of planning. So I just booked a trip. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had the money 
set aside for a house, you know, and it ultimately, I think people don't realize how inexpensive it is to travel. Like you don't have to stay in five-star resorts, right? Mm -hmm. and, and especially in that part of the world, Southeast Asia, um, it's not that expensive to be there. It's expensive to get there, yeah. but it's not that expensive to actually be there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that cost, that cost of that excessive cost of getting there gets dwindled down significantly the longer you stay. So right. if, if a, if a plane ticket's going to cost you $1,700 or whatever it might be to get you there, if you like that sucks, if you're spending, if you're, you're yeah. if you're your typical American family of four, that's going there on vacation for a week and a half and then coming back is like, holy right. Christ, we just spent $10,000 just to get there and back. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're spending, if you're buying a one way ticket for 1500 bucks and you're there for three months, like, well, what the heck's three hundred? like, what the heck's 1500 right. bucks? I mean, that's nothing. That's, I mean, spread out. It's nothing. Yeah. So when yeah. I booked the flight, I, I only booked one way because I wasn't sure how long I would, you know, how much I didn't know how long the money would last or, <laughs> um, you know, how long I really wanted to do this. So I booked um, one month in Southeast Asia, which I would just suggest if anyone wants to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, one month is way too long to be on one tour. So it's better to book shorter tours and then like take some time in between to just kind of hang out where you want to hang out. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I definitely felt rushed in the Southeast Asia portion of my trip. So when okay. I went to Australia, I like didn't book anything. That's where I went next. We didn't get to that part yet. Sure. I was but, gonna ask, uh, <laughs> Southeast Asia was 30 days. Um, it was um, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam and Laos. Okay. Um, it was beautiful and um, the food was incredible and, you know, it was, it was interesting to kind of be the, to be the minority, right. To be walking mm. around and see all these Asian faces and um, not too many sort of familiar, mm -hmm. familiar faces or familiar white faces, I guess, or yeah. even, you know, what we see here in the U S. Sure. Um, Anyway, yeah, that, uh, that's a, that's a pers <laughs> that's a perspective both my wife and I share. Like when, when we're yeah. when we're talking about the if if we're going to be banking up and going for any reasonable amount of time to somewhere, we uh -huh. we want we want for example Southeast Asia or South America yeah. or uh -huh. some of the Pacific Island. Like what the reason that we want that is if I don't want to go to Paris. Right. Paris is like here, but in a different language. And, well, it's funny. and in a lot of cases, not even in a different language. Right. It's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like students. And, and this is something that I talk to people all the time that have kids that are in college that are studying abroad. Like this conversation comes up all the time. It's like, it's like, oh, yay, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be studying abroad. I'm going to London. I'm like, you, why don't you just visit New York City for a weekend? It's the exact right. same thing. <laughs> Like it's this, I don't know that the Londoners would agree with you there, but I agree, I agree <laughs> but within but within reason. But the, but especially if you're you're studying abroad is an educational experience. Supposedly, right. it's an educational experience. You don't learn much more going to London than you do just visiting New York City. But if you're going to, you know, if you're going to like if you go to Cambodia for six months. Right. It's a, you learn 
a completely different culture. You learn another language that's not very, that's not a romantic language that like you, that's a, you're learning that there is a completely different world out there. You don't, you don't see a different world when you go to Paris, you see, you see pretty things, you see pretty buildings and it's great. They're wonderful people, but it's too similar. At least I, well, as I would just say as someone from a small town, Mm -hmm. right. So even going to like New Orleans when I was a kid felt like a whole other world, right? I mean, there were people, not even so much, there were just people with who looked different, right? Like they didn't dress in the way that everybody, they didn't have their, their Wranglers and, and, uh, you know, whatever. So when you Um, say small town, how small are we talking? Um, I actually looked at the population the other day. It's about 6,000 people. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There are campgrounds. There are so, camp, um, so there are campgrounds. Uh, there are campgrounds I, in the Northeast that have have larger populations than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was first planning the trip and sort of telling people that I was going, I did get a lot of "Why don't you just go to Europe? Why don't you just go to Europe?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, I'm not really looking for a why don't you just sort of a trip, right? Sure. Like, yeah. Um, I am sure that I will in my lifetime spend a lot of time in Europe, mm-hmm. um, but." It's rare that you can just, you know, buy a one-way ticket without a return date, you know, and say, I'll come back when I'm good and ready. So I wasn't going to go to Europe with that kind of time. I wanted to go to the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of why I chose, um, chose that area. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just totally different. Um, the other thing, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, just, yeah, being a, a kid and seeing so i did a i did a year abroad i'm oh, not a year i did a summer abroad in italy mm-hmm. uh when i was in undergrad mm-hmm. um, and even that like just seeing just how differently people live you know when you when you grow up in a small place especially in the south although i'm sure it's true every small place right sure. you sort of think that that the way of life that is around you is how everybody lives sure. right and i can you know people think they can get really sort of um, angry or judgmental when there are folks who don't sort of fit fit that profile, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, right? Yeah. So any exposure that especially young people can get to something outside of that. And I had a few outlets that did that for me. I was in 4-H as a kid, and that allowed me to travel even just within the state to see, um, you know, hear the other accents and realize that, <laughs> Growing up in South Louisiana, I thought everybody was Roman Catholic. Like, that's (laughs) not true, (laughs) you know? Like, there's just a lot of, like, limited perspective that you don't even, you know, you would think that, like, exposure to media and stuff would sort of give you a sense of how different it can be elsewhere. But I don't think you really get that until you experience it yourself. So no. Yeah. No, because that that exposure, even even through the me, even through the media, the exposure is story based. It's hey, this is what's ha- this is what's happening in Birmingham, and they tell you they tell you a story that fits into that one minute twelve second news segment, and then they're quick mm-hmm. on to the, quick on to the next thing, and just the, that's not you don't you don't get to immerse yourself in it. So mm-hmm. w- with that, I just just a quick follow up question when you when you first started your trip, you. Mm-hmm. You know, you left, you left the job, you left the apartment, mm-hmm. <laughs> surrendering the deposit mm-hmm. and you know, you got, you got on the one way trip to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. 
when when did it hit you that you were doing this? Like, was it when the mm. plane, was it when the plane was taking off? Was it when you got to Bangkok and got lost the first time? Was it when you booked the flight in the first place? Like, when did it hit you that holy shit, I'm doing this? Like, when did that feeling hit you, and what were you doing? I don't know that I had that particular like holy crap feeling. Um, and, you know, folks asked me when I got back sort of how I felt about the trip. And I said, you know, if anything, I just felt like I was being a more authentic version of me, mm-hmm. right? Like this this person who's just kind of wandering around. It, it felt very, um, I mean, it could be certainly uncomfortable at times, but I never felt, um, I never felt freaked out by it. I will tell you this story, though. So I, um, I arrived in Bangkok at 5 a.m., which felt like 5 p.m. because it's exactly 12 hours difference from Baltimore. So um, the trains weren't running yet in order to get me into town and get to the hostel that I had booked because I got there like two days before my trip started. So I had a couple nights in a hostel. Um, So I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm at this airport. You know, there's no one there. And I thought that I was like prepared, right? I Mm -hmm. wrote down the address for the hostel that I needed to get to. And I walk out to the taxis and I'm trying to show them this address. And I'm, I don't really understand why none of them could read it, but because I had written it in, in like English, English letters at (laughs) least, right? Like I had written there, it was what was on the website, but it didn't even occur to me that like, this is not what their letters look like. Like they they can't read this. Right. (laughs) So I give it to the taxi and one of them's like, Oh yeah, I can, I can, I mean, he didn't say, Oh yeah, I could take you, but that's what he meant. Like I got that body language. Right. So I get in the back of this taxi cab. The sun hasn't come up yet. I know that the hostel is at least like 20, 25 minutes away. So I'm like watching my clock to make sure that we're not going, you know, somewhere unexpected. Sure. And he takes about the exit where I imagine we should go. And we start driving around this neighborhood, pitch black. <laughs> There's these like little shanty shack kind of places, you know, like these narrow roads and these little shacks on the side <laughs> of the road, which I assume, well, actually once the sun comes up, it's like vendors are selling, you know, fruit and, yeah. um, you know, lovely things in these little places, but five o'clock in the morning with no light. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell was going on. So, he go. He pulls up to this hotel, and I'm like, "No, that's that's not where I'm staying." So he's like, "Okay." So he drives around a little more. We went to at least four places, and at this point, I'm having like a full-on anxiety attack in the back seat of a taxi in Bangkok. Like he doesn't know where he's taking me. My phone doesn't work because I was told that it would work internationally, but we uh-huh. got there, and what I really needed was to get a card but of course i got to the airport before anything was open so i couldn't get a sim card for thailand yep yeah so my phone doesn't work and so eventually he stops and i'm like pointing at the phone number trying to explain like call this number call this right like i am trying to show him my phone like my phone it doesn't work you (laughs) use your phone to call this number and so he did eventually and uh we found the place but i was just in the back of that taxi going i don't care what happens i'm not getting out of this taxi unless we're at the right place like if he has to take me back to the airport then i'll just go back to the airport and wait for the trains to start running you know but i'm not getting out so i mean if anything that might have been the moment where it's like oh crap i'm really (laughs) like on the other side of the world i don't speak the language i'm in the back of a taxi cab yeah it was um 
It was a hell of a way to start the trip. That's for sure. That is awesome. Now, how, how, <laughs> how did he did he call and then figure things out and then he did call? Yeah, okay. and the guy knew that I was going to be showing up about that time because I had put that on my reservation. So okay. uh, there was somebody outside who met me uh, and let me in and like gave me a gave me a room and I ended up just sleeping the whole next day, which is what they always tell you not to do. Mm-hmm. But it felt like the middle of the afternoon, right? So I just. Yeah. Uh, I just ended up sleeping all day and then kind of started my trip the next day. Yep. I, I had a similar experience back in 2001, the summer of 2001. I, I went to the, unfortunately, France, um, The and <laughs> though it was a wonderful experience. I, I went there and I flew. Technically, they say you fly through the night. I got it. You know, I got on the plane at eight o'clock at night here in Baltimore and I landed there at 9 a.m. I got mm-hmm. all of, I got all of two and a half hours of sleep or so on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got there, got settled, finally got settled into the hotel around 11, 1130. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a little tired. I'm going to take a nap and then I'll go out for lunch. And that's it. I woke up at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. I'm like, oh. No, it's like, <laughs> no, that's the worst feeling because like, obvious, obviously you're then up all night and then into the next day you're dead by noon, but you're like, I can't, can't go to sleep, can't go to sleep, can't go to sleep. Yeah. You know, you just, you can't do it. Otherwise this will be the, this will be the problem. You know, you, you'll, whole time. You, yeah. you'll, you'll be, you'll be spending your entire vacation on the mid on the graveyard shift. And it's like, I. No. So yeah, no, that, that is, that's a terrible feeling, but you know, your, your body is like, don't, don't screw with your body. Like your body is yeah. like, no, you need to sleep. And then- yeah. And it worked out fine. I just ended up cause it was five o'clock. Yeah. I ended up getting up at like noon and eating something and then just kind of going back and I, I, I slept most of the night and woke up the next morning. So, oh, that's great. uh, yeah, it worked out. Um, and then I, um, well, I had to get to, I had booked a, um, like a zip lining tour the okay. next day. Right. And, um, so here I am in this new city. Don't obviously can't speak, um, Thai. What, yeah. Thai? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and the guy's trying to explain to me how to get from where we are to the subway line. What's that? It was like a raise. It was like an L like in Chicago it was a raise yeah. line. Yep. And I have to go out to the main road and take a tuk-tuk to the, um, to where the lines are. Right. And I, at this point, don't even know what a tuk-tuk is. Are you familiar with a tuk-tuk? I am not. Please explain. Okay. So it's basically like a little truck. Um, and the, the bed of the truck ha- is covered and it's got like benches on the back. Right. So it's their version of a bus. Okay. Well, I mean, they may have buses as well, but it's sort of a, like a short distance, transportation system, right? Um, so I don't know what a tuk-tuk is. I mean, I know that it's something that's going to take me there. So it's, you know, I kind of have a sense of what it might be. Mm -hmm. And he told me where to stop. But of course, once I walk over to the main road, I'm not even sure that I know how to get back to the, to the hostel. And I'm trying to ask people, but no one speaks English. And I don't (laughs) even remember how I figured it out. Some, I, maybe I just saw it coming and like ran over. So then I, I tell the driver where I need to go. And I think he understands me, but then I'm in the back of it for what felt like forever. And eventually I was just like, I have to get out. Like I can't, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how much farther this is going to go. And he, at one point he just took a, took a turn and I just got out and luckily it was the right place. And he kind of pointed me in the right right direction. And then I got lost again, (laughs) trying to walk to where you actually get on to the, uh, to the subway system. Mm -hmm. But one, luckily the, um, 
you know, like so many subways, it had really great, uh, like signage. So once I got to the subway, I was able to figure out where I needed to go from there. That's great. But okay. it was definitely a, a lot of like wandering, just knew at least how to get back to wherever I came from. Sure. Yeah. So, but then, uh, yeah, so the zip lining was fun. And then the next day I met up with my tour group and I, it was like, like I said, it was a, I went with a company called G adventure okay. and, um, it was a, YOLO level tour, mm -hmm. right? Which is like the cheap one mm -hmm. um, for really young people, apparently. Because mm -hmm. I was like, I was 10 to 15 years older than everyone else on the trip. Wow. So that okay. was an interesting experience, at least for the first couple of weeks. There were a couple of older folks who joined us a little bit later, but um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was kind of fun too, traveling around with a bunch of uh, 18 to 21 year olds. They were mostly from like Scandinavia, okay. uh, Denmark, and um, uh, what are the other ones? The Netherlands. Yeah, Netherlands, and Denmark, Sweden. Sweden. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so obviously, so Thailand was the first stop, Australia was the second. Did you go anywhere yeah. other than those two countries? Well, okay, so the, the tour well, yeah. was Thailand, Cambodia, yeah, those four, Vietnam, yeah, Laos, yeah. and then I flew to Adelaide. So I had a friend from home who had moved to Adelaide, uh, which is uh, uh, one of the main, there aren't that many cities in Australia. Yeah. So Adelaide is one of the southern um, cities, mm -hmm. and I actually got there during the Fringe Festival, which was awesome. Um, cause it was like comedy and like circus arts. And I don't know if you ever went to any burlesque, uh, shows in Baltimore, but there used to be, um, a group there, Trixie Little and the evil hate monkey. Do you remember them? I, I don't, I have been to them. I have not seen that particular group now. Gotcha. Well, the evil hate monkey was in Australia when I was there. So that was pretty cool to go see him do his, his burlesque thing at the French festival in Adelaide. That's funny. Okay. Um, yeah, hung out there for a couple weeks, and then from there, just kind of winged it, I guess. Um, I didn't do any other countries, but I was in Australia for two months. Oh wow! Um, okay. Yeah, and just kind of booked. So I booked a tour um, across the Great Ocean Road, which is kind of like our uh, Highway One on um, on the West Coast, mm -hmm. right? It's like a coastal road that has these gorgeous cliffs and these. Um, it's called the Twelve Apostles. It's like these where the cliff has eroded away and there's this, I don't even know what you'd call it, um, landmass that's still standing. Mm -hmm. um, and then spent some time in Melbourne, uh, checking out all of the, um, and that's how they say it too. It's not Melbourne. I was, I was, I was actually, Melbourne. I was about yeah. to comment. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> anyway, Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of the, uh, the um, graffiti, there was really amazing. I actually took photos. They're hanging on the wall behind me, actually, in my apartment. Some of the pictures that I took of the graffiti in Melbourne. And then, man, uh, yeah, flew to Sydney. I ended up going to um, Uluru uh, in the middle of the country, a little outback session, um, hiking around. Uh, they call it, well, the, the English name is Ayers Rock, but the, um, the Aboriginal people call it Uluru. Mm -hmm. uh, they're actually just, I heard a story the other day, speaking of the podcasts I listened to, that they're in a year or two, they're going to be closing the, um, right now you can hike to the top of this rock. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the Aboriginal people don't want folks doing that because in their culture, it was like a, a real honor to get to walk to the top of this rock, mm -hmm. which was actually sort of like a, um, 
I mean, they lived there, but it was also like their their church, yeah, essentially. Yeah, sa- sacred right? ground, yeah. Sacred place, yeah. So they were trying to explain it like, what if people could just, I don't know, like hike to the top of St. Peter's Basilica, right? You know, without any sort of religious meaning behind it. Like that would be kind of offensive to a lot of people. So sure. they're going to be closing down that, that hike within the next year or two. Um, yeah, so Ayers Rock, Uluru, uh, Byron Bay took a, took a surfing class. Uh, was not very good at it, but we'll try again sometime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up in Cairns. Um, again, it's, it looks like like Cairns, but they pronounce it Cairns. Okay. And uh, got to go um, learn to scuba dive on the Great Barrier Reef, oh, which was incredible. by far and away the highlight of the whole trip. It was just, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. I was up there for like two weeks. Um, I did uh, like two days of classes, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning to scuba dive, which I guess I could have done before I left, but I hadn't, like I said, I went kind of without a plan. Yeah. <laughs> so uh took the classes there and then we did a three day live aboard. So I got to spend three nights on a boat with a bunch of other like adventurous people, you know, a lot of folks were learning with me and then there were some other divers who'd, who, you know, were very experienced and had been to all these amazing places. And so just, I felt like out of the whole trip, that was the time when I was most surrounded by like my people, Mm -hmm. right. You know, they were a little bit older than the group before and were just really avid travelers and just, everybody was just so excited to be there. And we happened to be out there well before some of these major, um, you know, this was two or three years ago now. So before some of these major die offs that the barrier reef has seen in recent years and also when the, um, the weather was just perfect like the the ocean was just glass there wasn't a lot of um it got a little rocky on the way back mm-hmm. i certainly got a little, little uh season, but uh on the way out there and the whole three days that we were out there it was just absolutely beautiful and um yeah i mean i never would have imagined i just didn't imagine how much i would love scuba diving mm-hmm. i I'm not a really strong swimmer. I get a little claustrophobic. That's me too. And yeah. In, yeah. And in like, you know, when I go to the aquarium or whatever, it's, I'm always looking at the fish. I'm not really looking at the, the, uh, coral, yeah. but, and I mean, not that I wasn't looking at the fish at the barrier reef cause there were so many different kinds, but the coral was just, I mean, it was just so gorgeous. And I would just get my face right up in there and just kind of look in, cause it'd be these little like nudie brains, which are like, um, little worms and there'd be a little shrimp in there. And it was just this whole world, you know, happening right under the water. And it was, it was just incredible. It is. I mean, it's an alien world to us. Like it's so, it's so funny there's mm-hmm. when, when we talk about, you know, land, air and sea, it's like, you know, with us being, you know, land-based, <clears throat> we don't find too many things super interesting about the sky. If you really think about it, like there's, you know, most of the population lives in cities. So, which is another way of saying they can't really see the stars. So Mm -hmm. the, the starry sky doesn't really hit a lot of people. So when, when you're standing on, when you're standing and you're looking up at the sky, you can see it. Like there's like, there's birds up there. You can see them. There's clouds. Mm -hmm. You can see them. They're all just kind of right there. But when you're talking about under the ocean, it's, it's a, 
different world. You can't see it unless you're in it. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to leave your world and enter that world in order to see it in in any way well. And it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's so it's such an alien experience for most people. Like you look you look under the water and go to your, go to a local creek where you live. It doesn't have to be the Great Barrier Reef. Just mm-hmm. put on a set of goggles and look under a local piece of you know lo- a local waterway that you've driven past or walked past your entire life and just look underneath of it you know maybe baltimore inner harbor not included um (laughs) but look just pierce pierce the veil of the surface of that water and just look at it with clear eyes it's like oh my god it's 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 like you walk through a door to another dimension Mm-hmm. You know, it's a totally different world. I mean, you then you look at something like the Great Barrier Reef, and that's just a whole other world beyond that. Yeah, like that's that you're on an alien planet, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're literally on an alien planet with you know creatures that you'll never see anywhere, and you know they they live in these massive communities that we don't understand, and mm-hmm. yet they somehow function well, and it just it's it's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and the organization that I dove with there was they really did a great job of um, like talking about the fact that we were visitors in this space, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and I've done some diving since then and have, was kind of shocked that not everyone um, has that same level of respect essentially for the fact that we are these humans and this is not our, like this, this space belongs to the fish and the coral and like, you know, don't touch anything and yeah. don't. Leave no trace, essentially, was yeah. the was the gist of it. And it was um yeah, I really appreciated that about about this particular organization. We saw this massive um sea turtle. He was like five feet across. That was pretty incredible. Yeah. Um what were some of the other highlights? There were some some reef sharks, which is also always kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh which, yeah, it was which, mostly the coral that I was impressed with. Go ahead. Which, to, which to put, mo- which again to put the fears of people, you know, in, that are that ah. are in the hearts of people. The the yes. the sharks are scared to death of us. Like they're not. It's like you're you're in there with. And they're sharks. not great whites. They're not yeah. great white sharks. Like these sharks, they're not aggressive. Yeah. 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 Um, was like, so, uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go right ahead. I was just going to tell you about the rest of the trip. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, so I um, I left Australia. I flew back to, to Sydney and then flew. Um, so a lot of the folks that I met in Australia were European, mm-hmm. and um, they still work with travel agents, which seemed crazy, right? Because, like, who – you know, one works with travel agents anymore, anymore yeah. but there they very much do. And it was pretty cool. So they, they basically say like, I want to go for this amount of time. I want to hit these places and the travel agent would help them sort of book it all out. And they were all flying through Fiji on the way home. And I was kind of looking like, Oh, I should stop somewhere on the way home. And, you know, looking at a map and, um, noticed <laughs> as I'm sure I should already have known that Hawaii was in between where I was and where I needed to get to. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, I stopped in Oahu, um, and stayed there for two weeks. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say, Jason, cause we were talking about, you know, how different it was being in Asia. So the sort of cultural shock of going from Southeast Asia to Australia mm-hmm. was really, I like it felt like, well, I don't know. I, I felt more like I was back home. Right. In the yeah. same way that you said, like Europe wasn't, isn't really that different. Yeah. Like Australia felt 
so much like America, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it was, um, it was, I was, it was culture shock yeah, <laughs> to sure. sort of be back in, back in this, uh, colonial, I guess, uh, sort of place. Sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, I went to Hawaii and stayed in a hostel there and, uh, like rented a around the island and, you know, hung out on the beach and read books and, uh, went and found some sea turtles and kind of swam around with them and just kind of did more not too sea, much there. Um, more sea, more sea turtles. Yeah. There's <laughs> lots of them. They're all over. <laughs> uh, and then from Hawaii, I, um, I went back to, you know what I thought was funny. It's cheaper to fly from Oahu to San Francisco than it is to go from Oahu to any of the other Hawaiian islands. Seriously? Yeah, it was 180 my flight home. Oh my god! And I, I thought, you know, with two weeks, like I ought to be able to um, to see a couple of islands, right? But it was like 250 to go to any of the islands, and I just, uh, well, you know, at the end of a four month trip, I just couldn't justify spending that much more money. So I, yeah, just stayed on Oahu. But I was shocked by that. I was actually going to say, like, what what was what was the thing that triggered the end of the trip? Like, was it running out of like was it running out of money? Was it you got a job offer that had a time no. limit? Like, what was the what no. was the trigger? It was um it was a personal um so when I was in Sydney, one of the reasons that I decided it was time to leave Baltimore is that my um my family is older. My parents are much older. Mm-hmm. Um, my father had Parkinson's and, um, dementia. And when I was in Sydney, he went into the hospital mm-hmm. and, okay. um, I was, you know, sort of having this conversation with my mother about whether or not I should just end the trip right then and there and go home. I was like, I can, I can book a flight home. It'll be $900. I can be there tomorrow. Um, and she said, well, she said, don't worry about it. Well, she didn't say don't worry about it, but she essentially said, you don't have to do that. Right. So then I, but it, I, it was like a now or never, right. Either I'm coming home tomorrow or I'm not coming home for a while. Yeah. Um, and she said to stay. So I booked out the rest of my trip. Um, so that was a big part of why I ultimately ended the trip was that my father went into the nursing home, but I also came back to the States when I did, because, um, I used to, well, actually this is the first year I've missed it. There's a music festival in Western Maryland called Dell fest. Um, it's a bluegrass festival that I've gone with, gone to with my friends for the last eight years. Um, I missed it this year because my niece got married that weekend, but I figured, um, that'd be a good excuse to go back to the States. So I, I sort of, when I decided to book out the rest of the trip, um, I booked it so that I would be at that festival, um, Memorial day weekend. And then just thought that's how I'd end the trip. And I went home after that. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So so the, so I guess the, the the mechanics of starting a trip like that were just sort of unplanned, Net and and ending the trip though had some some structure to it at least in your case, like yeah. for for any I mean if if somebody's listening to this and they they want to try and plan something like this themselves like what what 
what would you recommend them doing? Because like you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned at the beginning there wasn't a whole lot of planning, but right. you also said that you were always daydreaming about traveling and you're always talking about have lists of all these places that you wanted to go. How yeah. and how and why did you pick Bangkok? Like if somebody if I'm talking to you and I've got a list of like the fifty places that I want to visit before I die, how do you pick number one? Like how do you pick the first stop? Like what made well, why was it Bangkok? That's a good question. I think, like I said, I just wanted to go somewhere really different. And I've always sort of um, just heard great things about Thailand. I ended up not spending all that much time there. We spent more time in like Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But I guess the advice I would give a couple things, right? I mean, the first thing is just to know how much time you have. Because with time, you can do so much, right? And you can spend a lot less money. If you only have two weeks, then you kind of just have to go with um, – you know, what you can afford to do in two weeks. But if there's, if you have time, there's so much more flexibility. So, um, looking for where it's cheap to fly, right. And yeah. where there are, are discounted tours. If you want to do a tour, um, my recommendation in terms of tours, like I said, I liked much more what I did in Australia, which was, I had a sense of what, where I wanted to go. And then when I got to that place, if there was something I wanted to do, like, when I went to Uluru, I booked a three-day tour that, um, like a hiking tour that uh, we camped outside, and you know they took us around the different uh, monument, well monuments, yeah, and and told us the history, the Aboriginal history. Um, but I think doing it that way, where you sort of have a sense of where you'd like to go, and then can book the tour when you get there. Like you definitely don't have to have everything planned out ahead of time. You just need like an outline of where it is you want to go. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of figure it out as you go. I love to do walking tours. I know a lot of people sort of aren't into that, but I like to get to a new city. And Australia had these, um, it's essentially like a free walking tour. And then you'd pay the person afterwards and they just kind of wander you around the city and tell you a little bit about it. And then I felt like that gave me a, a good sense too of like what I wanted to do while I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, staying in hostels was amazing because there's so many other solo travelers um, so there were always people to sort of talk to and meet up with. And it did take, so the first time I did sort of a trip like this, it wasn't quite this extensive. I went to Ireland for two weeks by myself back mm -hmm. in like 2007. Okay. And I did the same thing where I just booked a flight. I mean, I did book a round trip flight that time, but I just booked a flight and figured I'd figure out the rest when I got there. Um, I had a really hard time a couple days that I hadn't actually talked to anybody. So sort of getting over that, that, um, that hesitation, mm -hmm. right. Cause most travelers are eager to, to have a conversation like, right. That's why they're there yeah. is to meet new people and have new experiences. So I definitely made me much more, um, I don't know, outgoing, I guess in a way, or at least comfortable approaching strangers and saying like, Hey, what are you, what are you up to today? Mm -hmm. Is there anything fun happening in town that I should know about? Um, and I'm guessing having that conversation with more than just locals is probably an interesting thing thing as well. It's like from what from what I've heard, like we haven't had a sort of walkabout trip like that just yet. Mm -hmm. But one of my thing, one of the things that I've been told is like you. I know how you mentioned like you wanted to go places where people didn't weren't so say monochromatic, um, mm -hmm. but don't also but don't hesitate to have conversations 
with the with those groups as well. Because like if you go to Thailand, mm-hmm. like if you go to Thailand and you're like, I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna experience a culture, and like you almost proactively avoid other groups. You don't know who you're missing. Like you, you mm-hmm. could you you could have just turned away a conversation from the most interesting from the most interesting man in the, in the world, in the world <laughs> but because he happened to be you know the white dude in his early 20s that was wandering by himself like you just missed an amazing conversation and maybe a great connection and whatever mm-hmm. you know because you wanted to try and be authentic it's like pick a pick a pick an authentic location and go there and just see what you see and talk to who you talk to. I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of the the gist I've gotten from other travelers that have had the chance to actually travel extensively. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say like, don't stress yourself out too much. Cause I find that, um, at least when I talk to, so my, my aunts and uncles are all like older and retired and starting to travel. And they say like, you know, after two weeks, they're ready to come home. I'm like, well then just slow down a little bit. Like you don't have to go so fast if you have the time. And that's most of what I did in Australia. I just went so quickly through Asia. I was like, I don't want to plan. I don't want, I just, you know, I would just stay in a city for as long as it felt like an interesting place to be Mm -hmm. and then would move on to the next place. Um, yeah, you want to get a sense of what it feels like to live there too, and that's yeah. hard to do if you're just like checking off, um, you know, tourist attractions all day long. Yeah, so it's important sure. to at least take a couple of days, and especially traveling for that long. You know, there were definitely days where I was like, I need a vacation from this vacation, right? I'm just going to go sit in the hammock at the hostel all mm-hmm. day, or you know, just grab a chair and sit on the beach and not really do anything, not try and. Um, not try and check anything off the list, but just kind of be here in this place and feel what it's like to be here. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, action item number one, pick, you know, pick a place, pick a place to go. That's not terribly expensive to go to and plan on staying there for, Stay as, there. for as long yes. as it's, for as long as it's interesting. Yeah. You know, if it, like, if you, I mean, if you go there and you're there for two weeks and you're bored as hell the entire time, pack your crap up and go somewhere else. That's fine. You know, of course, yeah. that's fine. Or if, you know, you're, you're, you're going to a town with a population of 300, but they're not particularly friendly to Westerner, you know, Westerners, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, you, you might not be exactly be enjoying your time, pack up and move on. But, you know, if if there's people in town that are doing really cool shit with you, you know, while, while you're there or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know, stick around. Like, hang out. Yeah. Stick around. Ha- actually, that's a good one. Hey, like, hang out. Don't visit. Hang out. You like you're mm-hmm. going you're going there to spend time there. If you end up going other places. OK, that's cool. But, you know, the and that kind of gets back to what you said about, you know, preferring walking tours like that's definitely mm-hmm. more in my wheelhouse and the same same with my wife is mm-hmm. that you know you got you have to get on the get out of the get out of the double-decker tour bus and walk down the street and it's amazing mm-hmm. how much better experience you'll have and that that can apply to literally anywhere you're visiting even domestically like, yeah and I, I would just add to that like don't be afraid of getting lost Right. I mean, you've got your phone and you probably got a map and there's always somebody you can ask, but it's nice to just kind of wander around. I mean, you're surprised what you'll discover 
uh, when you get a little bit lost. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's great. I know um, t- uh, Tim Ferriss. He's a he's an author. I'm a big fan of, and mm-hmm. uh, the the audience of the show has heard me talk a little bit too fanboyish about him in the past. So I do apologize for that. But that that's when with regards to long term travel, that's one of his primary recommendations. He's like, pick a location that you know to be safe. That is extremely foreign and safe. Like he he recommends, say Tokyo or mm-hmm. a, a couple of other places in Japan, or some other places throughout Southeast Asia or South America. He's like, pick places that you know to be safe, and then go without a map and just wander and get lost. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're likely not going to die any more likely than you are walking down the street in your hometown. But mm-hmm. you'd be amazed at the little nooks and crannies that you find when you don't know where the hell you're walking to and you're mm-hmm. just walking. Um, yeah, I like to wander. Yeah. Now, <laughs> are, are, you, are you sort of a, a casual photographer as well? Like, were you taking a lot of pictures throughout this trip or did you not do that? I did take a lot of pictures. I definitely did. I, and you know, in my normal life, I'm always frustrated with myself that I don't take more photographs, but I didn't have like a fancy camera. I just had my, um, you know, my smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I took tons of photos. Uh, like I said, I've got a few of them printed out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one of, uh, like a landscape of Uluru right behind me. And I actually, when I did the, um, the dive, I rented a camera mm-hmm. and so was able to take some photos. So there's another one in my kitchen of, I, uh, I just turned over on my back, so I've got a picture looking up at these, um, I think they're called bumperhead pufferfish. They're these massive fish that were swimming above us hmm. over at the Great Barrier Reef. So, yeah, photos are important. I mean, I, I guess I kind of go back and forth with that because on the one hand, it's important to just be there and experience, you know, experience. You know, uh, remember it because I find sometimes – you end up just remembering the pictures and not the the place. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to find a balance there. You don't want to spend all your time trying to get the perfect photograph and not being where you are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did definitely get some great pictures. What was your, do you have a favorite? A favorite photo? Um, yeah. So I don't know if I can remember exactly where we were. It was when we were in, when I was in Vietnam, we did a, um, we did a, like a bike tour where I was on the back of this motorcycle, uh, driving around the city. I think it was, it was Hoi An maybe. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I'd have to go back and look, but we stopped at this, uh, waterway and it's, it's just a picture of a sunset over a waterway essentially, but it really just sort of captured how it felt to be there. Right. Like it was just so peaceful and beautiful and it's all these different like yellows and oranges in the photograph, which was, um, not what sunsets look like here. You know, it was, it was just different enough. And, uh, yeah, it's a really great one. I actually have it as the, I think I still do. I had it as a header on my LinkedIn profile for a little while there. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I I think, I think like, like with the trip itself, I think that's a pretty awesome place for us to sort of circle around to a landing. The, 
quick one question that I like to ask everybody on the show before we close out mm-hmm. is uh, just kind of getting back to the concept of the podcast in the first place, which is sort of what are the small little tweaky things that people can do to make make their travels or make their lives just a little bit better in whatever area it might be. Um, mm-hmm. th- this is something that can apply to travel. This can apply to your work, but it doesn't necessarily have to. This can apply to literally anything. Like, And this is a question that I kind of cribbed from, uh, from another podcast that I'm a big fan of. But what purchase have you made in recent memory of $100 or less? that's had the biggest impact on your life in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Like, can you, can you think of something that kind of fits that fits that bucket? Yeah, I, I did think about this ahead, but actually the first time I heard you ask the question, I already knew what my answer would be. Um, okay. <laughs> so I've been a little bit obsessed with this app called, uh, YNAB. You need a budget. Have you heard of this? I've heard, I've heard of it. I don't know anything specific. Yeah. About so it. I'm obsessed and it, for me, like like I said, when I was saving, when I decided to take this trip, I had this bucket of money that I was going to do something with, and I didn't know what. And so, what this? Uh, it's five dollars a month, and I have an actual budget now where I have X amount of money set aside specifically for travel. Right. So the idea with the app is that every dollar gets a job, and um, so knowing what I have that savings for mm-hmm. uh, is just it's really it's. I feel like I'm meeting savings goals in a way that I wasn't before. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really aware of what the money is going to do for me one day. Right. So I don't feel bad or, uh, uncomfortable or wasteful or anything. If I decide to spend $3,000 on a trip, which I did in January, I went to, uh, Guatemala, Mexico and Belize for three weeks. Yeah. Um, cause it's already set aside and I have it, I have it, uh, in a bucket ready to be spent on my next trip. So that's kind of the, that's made a big difference. Like I feel like I'm much more, uh, prepared for retirement than I was before. And I'm having more spending more money on fun things and not feeling guilty about it. Cause I have it set aside for that. So I don't know. It's kind of a, yeah, that's been my, my biggest sort of change, I guess, recently is just being really specific about what my money's going to do for me. Yeah, and that that's uh, just piggybacking off of that. I mean, that that's definitely a big, a massive stressor for so many people. Just because, mm-hmm. like, we, we all just got so many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. You know, that you know the and even if we're not necessarily living paycheck to paycheck, when we're saying it's like, okay, my I need this much to live on, and the rest of it is quote going into savings. It's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but for what? Like, what? What? Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that money? Why is that bucket of money right there in that savings account? If it do, if you don't know why it's there, what it's there working for, it's very easy to say. Well, since it doesn't necessarily have a purpose, I can just use it for this, and then mm-hmm. and then poof, there went your savings. I'm like, uh, what? Wait, wait a second. Right. Well, you you it spent it took eight months to get the account up to that, and you spend it in two days, and you're like, uh, but well, you don't feel like you lost anything per se because it wasn't plan for plan to be used for anything else. That's it. That's interesting. I got, I want to take a look mm-hmm. at that myself. Yeah. And it's called YNAB. Yep. YNAB. You need a budget. You need, you need a budget. YNAB. Okay. Yeah. That is awesome. Maria, if people want to follow up with you or find you or follow you or hire you or just okay. say, say hi, where, where <laughs> might they find you in the world of the interwebs? Well, I have a website, uh, Maria Nicolosi.com. 
Um, should I spell that? They can get it in the, uh, in case, in case it's a people, little hard to, in, yeah. ca- in case people don't, in case people don't look at the show notes or click the link, go, yeah. ahead, and, go ahead and spell it out. All right. Nicolosi, N I C O L O S I Maria Nicolosi.com. Uh, that's like my portfolio and it's got links to my Twitter handle, which is design Maria. Although I mostly just post, um, like design and coding and, and things like that. Um, okay. It also has a link to my Facebook page and my LinkedIn profile. Okay. So MariaNicolosi.com is the starting point for all things Maria. Yeah. Maria, this is awesome. It was awesome to catch up. Like this, this is, these are details about your trip. I, I'd known about your trip, but I never uh-huh. really knew anything of your trip until this conversation. So this is really awesome for me and hopefully everybody got some stuff out of it. This is really great. Well, thanks. Thanks. I was a little worried that it would be boring. (laughs) 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 International globe hopping for half of a year is never boring. No matter like rare depend. Well, that's not true. I don't know why people say that there's plenty of boring people out in the world, but you don't exactly fit that bucket. So the, I thought this was awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Maria. I really did. It was really great to catch up with her. She's got a heck of a story. It was really fun hearing about her travels and uh, what she did leading up to it and sort of how she decided to end it, which is always something that I've been curious about with long-term travel. Really quick before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show in whatever podcast app you're listening to and go over to the community Facebook page and let me know what you thought about the show. Smallmoves.co forward slash community. Talk to you next time around. You got this.